Welcome to episode four of Around the World Sports. My name is Aaron Shellen. You can reach me on Twitter at SportsGuyAaron, or you can find me on YouTube and Facebook at Around the World Sports. Today, I had the pleasure of being joined by NBA writer Adam Taylor. Adam is the lead writer for the Boston Celtics for SB Nation and host of SB Nation's Celtics blog talk about the restart of the NBA season, get into detail about the Celtics, how this layoff affects them as a club, as well as their chances of coming out of the East. In addition, we spend a little time discussing the Chicago Bulls and what they need to do to turn things around. Hope you like it. My guest today, joining us all the way from the other side of the pond in England, is Adam Taylor, lead writer, lead writer for SB Nation and host of SB Nation's Celtics blog. He's also the co-founder of 450 Times on the CLNS Media Network. You can find him on Twitter at Adam Taylor NBA. Adam, thanks for joining me today. And how are you doing? No problem, man. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's mid-evening on a Sunday. Uh, I don't have work tomorrow. I'm working from home, which isn't technically working. So I'm living my best life. Excellent. Sounds good. So let's let's jump right in. So um, I want to start with uh, just just talking about the NBA in general. So with with talks well underway about the NBA resuming their season, I wanted to hear your take uh, on the league's plan of uh, potentially heading down to Disney World and, and playing their games there. What what sorts of roadblocks do you see them encountering and, and how quickly do you think they could ramp up to start restart the season? So there was talk a while back around about a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago, saying that they wanted to employ like a two-week training regime where players would go back with their teams start out with individual workouts, ramp up to full team workouts, and then maybe get some like preseason games underway because jumping from no basketball into playoff basketball is so ne- so detrimental to a player's physical ability and the amount of injuries that could be sustained is like really career-threatening. So I'd assume that there would be a delay. Uh, teams are slowly starting to go back now for individual team workouts. For Boston um, specifically, there was a press release on Friday that said they'd be allowing voluntary individual workouts at the Auerbach Center. Once that happens, I feel like it's quite easy to transition then from a few weeks in the gym, getting that fitness back, getting your game sharpness back, understanding the system again. The system might change slightly as well due to players that were injured and now healthy. And then going down to Disney World where it's a essentially a bubble, right? I mean, that's the the way they're looking at running it is no fans, no media, very few family, if any family at all. Whoever's in that bubble doesn't leave that bubble until the end of the playoffs or they're eliminated. That seems quite easy to implement on the face of things, whether or not that's going to be more difficult once everybody's in the vicinity of that bubble and now there's no outgoing contact via like physical contact 
I'd assume that it's going to go quite smoothly as long as they can figure out how to rebuild players' fitness at a level that doesn't incite injury or fatigue. Because the last thing you want is players that are fatigued going straight into the playoffs and then putting on a subpar brand of basketball. And that was actually going to be my my, my follow-up question. Let's assume everything goes according to plan and everything goes smoothly and all the players head down to Orlando and they, you know, they enter the bubble and, and, and everybody's fine. Do you think there will be uh, what, 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 what do you think the quality of play will be? Do you think it'll be kind of what we've come to expect? Or do you think this, do you think that there will be some sort of either physical or mental hangover just with everything that's going on right now? I mean, I think these guys are like true competitors the level of competitiveness that these players have just to reach the league means that once they're on the court and the game's on the line and they feel like they need to win, that's when you'll start seeing the mental block won't be there. It'll be more of about the physical limitations at the beginning. If they jump into a regular season, like has been discussed, I feel like it's going to be straight into the playoffs. But if they do jump into the regular season, by the time they reach playoff level, I feel like we'll be back to a quality of basketball that we're used to. But the first few games across the board, I'm expecting to be a little bit more difficult to watch. A lot of loose balls, a lot of uh, shots coming up short or air balls. And that's to be expected. You can't expect these guys to go from no basketball for two slash three months to then playing playoff ready, high level, like highest level in the world type basketball instantly. It's going to take a few games for their legs to get back under them. Right. Just like, I mean, that's why we have a preseason so that the players can get, can get their legs underneath them and they can get, they can get comfortable with the speed of the game and, and, and the, the physical toll that, that playing 48 minutes a night can, can have on you. So how do you, so let's, let's talk a little bit closer to home. How how do you feel the layoff is going to impact the Celtics? For example, Jason Tatum was playing at an MVP level post all-star game. Uh, and then the flip side of that, you had a lot of players, Kemba, Gordon, Ennis Cantor, Rob Williams, all dealing with injuries. So how does this layoff potentially affect a, a young squad like the Celtics? I feel like it's hit the reset button. It's allowed Kemba's knees were struggling, which is quite worrying as well due to his coming into what is he now nearly age 30, just turned 30. His knees knees are starting to swell up after games. It was a worry that, we, that the Celtics had with Kyrie Irving. Was his knees going to last the duration of his career? Hopefully for Kemba, this has kind of been due to a knee injury and then he aggravated it during the All-Star break. But it's hitting the reset button. So guys that were riding the crest of a wave are going to come back down to where they usually are, which is bad in terms of the way Tatum was playing. Hopefully he can find that level of play again. But then Rob Williams with the hip bone edema, hopefully that's like completely fixed now. He was starting to get minutes on the floor again as the pandemic came. So a few months of not much stress, just relaxing, doing his rehab at home, following the routines that the Celtics have sent to him. And it's Cantor again, the same. I feel like the guys that are injured coming back to a healthy level should level out the guys that were riding crests of a wave coming back down to a level. Hopefully it will find a balance. And then the Celtics are coming to the playoffs healthy, which again is you can't underestimate with no travel because you're all in one location. Mm -hmm. There isn't the travel wearing you down. There's no jet lag. And now every team's healthy, which makes this playoffs a lot more volatile than if it had just been the regular season leading up to the playoffs. 
And and the one name you didn't mention um, in terms of injuries was actually somebody that you spoke to a few weeks ago was Gordon Hayward. Uh, any updates physically on on how he's doing with his his hand injury? I don't have any inside information at all. Um, from what I can tell, from just from what I've seen on Instagram when he's posting videos and he's with the kids or when I've read any information that's been released by the Celtics that's been public, there is no difference in how his hand was because his hand was pretty much healed at the point of when the the pandemic kind of arose. He, mm. You were seeing slight issues. He was saying it was hurting afterwards. For me, the biggest issue is that foot. The way he was getting pain after playing with the foot, is that something that's going to be around for the rest of his career? Is he going to have to manage it? manage game time is he going to have to start sitting more games in the regular season uh, that's something for the Celtics to sit down and think about should he opt in ready for next year when he does hit restricted free unrestricted free agency from what I can gather he's kind of keeping himself fit if you listen to the interview I had with him a few weeks ago it was he has his own fitness rate regime the Celtics are sending workouts to all of their players regularly and checking up on their progress so I feel like He's with, I kind of class him as one of the healthy guys compared to Robert Williams and Kemba mm-hmm. Walker. That were my two primary concerns. So you, you bring up a good point that, that there will be no travel. There will be no, you know, Kemba's not going to have to, you know, figure out a way to, to keep limber on a cross country flight and, and, and things of that nature. Uh, where does a fully healthy Celtics team rate in the Eastern Conference, where do you see their chances or how do you see their chances on getting past teams like Milwaukee and Toronto? So I had somebody on the Celtics blog podcast. Uh, it was John Corrales, actually. It was probably two, three months ago, no longer than that. And he put it this way to me. And since he said it this way, it's been the only way I've kind of looked at it through Corrales colored glasses, shall we say. Everyone's worried about how the Celtics are going to stop Giannis, how they're going to stop Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. What you need to think about is how are those teams going to stop the Celtics that have four players capable of initiating, creating, and scoring off every level. You've got Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Kemba Walker that can score on all three levels. Two of those guys are high-level initiators, high-level creators off the pick-and-roll. Jason Tatum was developing a pick-and-roll game too. So where the Celtics only have to worry about stopping one primary guy in Giannis or two primary guys in Embiid and Simmons. These guys have to worry about stopping four primary guys. And then you throw Rob Williams in that has the potential to be one of the best big, best passes of a big man coming off the short roll in the league. That's another initiator that can create for you. There's too much ball movement to really have to worry about stopping another team because they have to stop Boston too. So I feel like on their day, Boston can beat any of these guys. Yeah, yeah, and Rob Williams is is somebody who gets I think overlooked from a from an outside Boston point of view. I mean, this kid fell in the first round due to some some other issues. Uh, the Celtics got themselves a steal. At, I think it was at twenty three, right? I think where where the Celtics got him. But I, this kid, his his leaping ability is is renowned at this point. But his passing ability is something that that people don't talk an awful lot about. And and it, 
the NBA game right now is geared more towards centers who can play at the top of the key like Daniel Tice and, and Rob Williams or potentially Rob Williams in that in that pick and roll. So having somebody like like Rob Williams, especially being able to to come off the bench and try to help that second team uh, provide because that's one of the issues that the Celtics have had this year is that is that that second team has really struggled offensively, especially with all the injuries. Having somebody like Rob Williams helping to facilitate that offense with the second team is going to help them, even with a shortened bench in the playoffs. It's going to help them tremendously. Oh, for sure. Rob Williams' ability to pass and to create out of that short roll and again out of the post as well, or from the top of the key, he can really bring guys into play. His passing this year was, I don't know, I can't say if it was improved because it wasn't anything that he was flashing last season but it was definitely a nice addition to his game that added a different level to the way the Boston, Boston Celtics can approach games. For the second unit, the only big concern is the shooting or the lack of shooting on that second unit, uh, which is why I'm expecting to see a lot more staggering of minutes between one of the four guys, Jalen, Jason. I call them the four horsemen. I'll refer to them as such moving forward. Um, you're going to stagger two, one or two of those guys with that second unit in the playoffs. And Rob Williams being able to be an initiator means you can leave Haywood in longer in the opening quarter of the game if you need a ball handler at that point because you know Rob Williams can come in with Tatum and Brown who are both solid ball handlers but both need to tighten that handle up in the open court and work on initiation. Adding Rob Williams into the mix alleviates the issue to need a guy that can initiate from the top of the key or from down on the post, similar to what Al Horford allowed them to do in previous seasons. Right. You know, and, and coach Stevens has always done, has always tried to make it a point to have at least one or two of those or horsemen, as you call them out on the court at any one time. So you're not really running a full bench mob, so to speak. There's always a starter out, the starter or two out there with them. And that goes back to your initial point, which is Celtics have four players who can either initiate or create their own offense. So if you have two of them on the court at any one time, you're never going to have an extended offensive slump. And especially once you get into the postseason and that bench gets shortened to eight players, maybe a ninth. Uh, you know, you're always going to have one of those big four out there. And then really all you need are people who, you know, Daniel Tice is is the perfect fit for this team with his his rebounding ability, his defensive ability, his ability to hit that, hit the three-pointer from the top of the key. That's really all you need once you get, get, get outside of that top four is you need people who can rebound, people who can play defense, people who can provide a little bit more energy so that you're not relying solely on those top four. Um, so the, the, the one name you didn't mention, and I want to, I want to bring him up because you talked about him on one of your last podcasts was, was Marcus Smart. And the, 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 the title of your podcast was, is Marcus Smart tradable? Um, and, and I'll give you my, my thoughts in, in a second, but, and, and you sort of hinted at, at your sort of answer to this on the podcast. But, uh, when you were talking about having a bunch of first and second year players, coming off the bench for you should you trade Marcus but rather rather than ask is Marcus Smart tradable my question is do you think that trading Marcus Smart is a smart idea I feel like it depends on the return 
uh, Celtics fans tend to sit in one of two camps. It's either Marcus Smart is God and will remain God for as long <laughs> as he wears green, or Marcus Smart is a problem that needs to be moved. And one of those camps is much bigger than the other, but those are pre- there isn't a middle ground with Celtics fans on Marcus Smart. For me, it depends on the return. I feel like, um, and I was quite vocal about this, Onyeke Okongwu would be a phenomenal fit between Grant and Rob Williams and Daniel Tice moving forwards. I feel like if you could move smart and consolidate some of these picks to get a player back that fits what you're doing and that hires your ceiling next season, then that's great you do that. But then again, you're trading Marcus Smart, a battle-tested general that comes off the bench and elevates a team's level of play through sheer will for an untested rookie. How much does that actually elevate what you're trying to do next season? So if the returns are Bradley Beal or somebody of that caliber of player that's a proven commodity within the NBA, then sure, you have a conversation about trading Marcus Smart. My personal outlook is Danny Ainge knew what he was doing when he gave Marcus Smart that contract. It's a very tradable contract. It's a fantastic salary matching contract. Nobody expected Marcus's offensive output to increase the way it did this year. But statistically, his defensive output kind of took a slide to level him out to the same impact type of player. And for me, I would much rather a defense first Marcus Smart than a Marcus Smart that wants to do both because you don't get the specialist that he actually can be. Yeah, you know, I mean, Marcus has been, obviously he's been known for his his defense. There's been talk of defensive player of the year. And I think if you ask, he is one of the, he's one of those players who's considered an all-NBA defensive player. You mentioned his contract. He's making $12 million a year, which in the NBA is, is peanuts. It's incredibly, an incredibly tradable contract, and it's a value. I mean, even a, a even if Marcus was just your average three and D type player, which he's not, because he's an above average three point shooter. He shot thirty five percent last year, thirty six percent this year, and his defense again, as I mentioned, is is all NBA. So even if he was just an average three and D guy, that twelve million dollars a year is a relative bargain. Um, the other thing that I think gets overlooked with Marcus is his ball handling ability. Uh, he is he has almost a three to one assist to turnover ratio this year. Takes good care of the basketball. He some he's a little out of control at times when he tries to do the the crazy you know behind the back through the legs no look passes and stuff. But but some of some, his court vision and his awareness and his ability to be where he needs to be on the court at all time is something that that's hard to hard to quantify. Uh, and and you're right, there are people that fall in, in one camp or the other, and you have to wonder what sort of mutiny, for lack of a better term, would follow a Marcus Smart trade. You know, I think if you're right. I think if if that return was someone like Bradley Beal, you could justify it. But especially now with with how Danny is, you know, Celtics have three first round picks this year. They had three first round picks last year. At some point, fans are going to say enough with the draft picks. We need to we need to do something that affects the product on the court right now. So I think if if the return was someone like Bradley Beal, I think you could you could appease the, the the Celtics fan base. But I think if you're trading Marcus Smart for draft picks or to move up in the draft, I think that would be a lot harder to sell. 
I do too. I mean, just to premise this Bradley Beal part, Bradley Beal earns roughly $29 million a year. Right. He, Marcus Smart would need to be packaged along with somebody else to make the money work. There's not really any Celtics players that you can consider movable when you're talking about bringing Brad, Bradley Beal in. I feel like Jason Tatum is the untouchable. Mm-hmm. Jalen Brown's just starting the first year of its extension. The only player that you can even look at is Kemba Walker, but then you wouldn't need to include Marcus Smart anyway, so it becomes a void kind. I feel like with the draft picks, if you're moving up in the draft, it's to consolidate. So you're moving Smart along with one or two picks and probably getting a pick back for the future and moving up now. Whether another team will be interested in that, I don't know. Smart next season will be on his final two years of his contract, which means his value, however high it is coming into next year, will slowly start to, well, it will continue increasing because he'll be coming towards the end of his contract. And then he becomes an even bigger trade chip for teams that are looking to rebuild and make a trade for him and then either re-up on him or let him walk in free agency to free that cap space. So for me, it's do you, do you want to pay Marcus Smart more in two years' time? Is he worth more than $12 million a year for what he brings to the team? If he's not, make use of him while his um, value is high because you don't know what happens injury-wise, or the way he plays, the amount of strain he puts on his body, diving on the floor consistently. You don't know if his value is going to be there in 12 months or 18 months. So if you feel like the best possible thing for the team and the return on investment is to move smart, then you do it this summer while there's still the high value and you you know he's a proven commodity. But does that help your team when it's a championship? That depends on the return. Yeah, you know, and, and Danny, uh, Danny Ainge obviously is not shy when it comes to to making moves. If he thinks it's going to help the team, he'll he'll pull the trigger. I have no doubt in my mind about that. But from a from a fan perspective, the return better be it, it better it better be I don't want to say worth it because that's relative. But but from a fan perspective, it better be something that that impacts immediately on the court. You know, if if and if if you're trading Marcus Smart to move up in the draft, you know there better be a a solid plan for who you're going to take at five or who you're going to take at four or what the plan is for that pick. It just you know he's one of those players that that you know it would have been like if you know Belichick had traded t- Troy Brown or you know if the Bruins move on from you know Marshawn or you know one of these these staple players. There, there's there's value there that can't be quantified by what he does necessarily on the court. So you gotta be he's gotta he's gotta toe that line very carefully and make sure that the the return is right or or there will be a revolt because people in Boston love their Marcus Smart. So. It's like when he traded Dan from first and then picked Tatum and everybody wanted faults. That worked out well. Now you can't always ex- expect moving up or moving down in the draft to pan out into a Jason Tatum. The same way you can't pick 60th in a draft and expect an Isaiah Thomas. It's it's relative. It depends on it's a lot of the onus is on the player and how much he wants to improve. But Danny Ainge, someone said this to me yesterday and it made a lot of sense actually. Danny Ainge moving Marcus Smart would be like when Ainge got traded back in the 80s. It would be that big of a deal to the Celtics fan base. And it would just be ironic if Ainge was to go to trade Smart when it, the last time it affected, it would have 
polarized opinions was when Ainge was the guy getting traded previously. And that trade was right in my wheelhouse. I was 12 when that trade went down, uh, sending Ainge and getting Pinckney and Klein in return. That was, that was, that was one of the beginnings of the end of that great, of that great eighties dynasty for the Celtics. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how they handle it. You know, they, they don't, the money situation in the NBA is obviously very strange because you have to match contracts and you can sign somebody to more money if they are with your team. So, so the money situation is, is always a little confusing to people, but um, yeah, I mean, he is, you know, he is the heart and soul of the Celtics. He might not be even the fourth best player on the team, uh, but he is, you know, he is the Celtics. So it'd be re- really interesting to kind of see how, how that all plays out this, this off season. So Adam, I want to, I want to change topics a bit. Uh, I'm in Chicago. So my fan base is, or my, my watcher base is they're all, they're all bulls fans. So I want to, I want to talk about uh, a little bit about the Chicago bulls. Um, so what are your thoughts sort of on the, the mess that is the bulls front office? Do you, do you think that, that they made the right hires bringing in Arturis Karnasovas to be their executive VP, uh, Mark Eversley to be their new GM, while at the same time holding on to John Paxson and Jim Boylan. So I'm probably not one of the most qualified guys to discuss this in too much detail. Most of my focus does surround Boston, mm-hmm. and I kind of watch New York quite closely as well due to the rivalry with those guys. Sure, um, I'm more comfortable saying... I feel like any decisions that have been made, if they haven't been made from player development aspects and they haven't been made from scouting aspects, which are two of the key things that have been plaguing the balls for multiple years now, then these aren't the right decisions to be made. With a team that holds young guys, Kobe White, I really like Kobe White's game. Um, Larry Markin, and I'm kind of high on him one week, low on him another. Uh, but the, And then you've got, um, what's his name? He's one of my favorite... Yeah, you've got Zach Levine, but that's not who I'm thinking of. He's one of my favorite guys as well. Wendell Carter Jr. Um, You've got some really solid young guys in that team. So the owner should be on scouting so you can make sure you continually draft intellectually and you continually know who around the league that's entering free agency would be a good fit both personality-wise and skill set-wise. And then you need a player development system in place to help these young guys with such high ceilings reach those ceilings. I don't know if the I don't know enough about the front office to know if that's been the type of hires that have been made. But if they're not the type of hires that have been made, then in my opinion, those are some incorrect decisions. What do you from from an on court perspective? You mentioned uh, kind of the the core four for the Bulls, and then they also have uh, Otto Porter Jr., who's been injured a lot for the last year. But uh, Otto Porter Jr. they got from Washington last year at the trade deadline. They've got a lot of skill just from the four players that you mentioned, but what do you think, what do you think they're missing? I mean, you mentioned four, four really solid uh, players. What does a team like the Bulls, I mean, what do they need to do to, 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 to get themselves back into contention? I mean, the first thing you need is a glue guy, right? A lot of these teams that kind of go from being outsiders looking into the playoffs to then being an eighth or seventh or sixth seed, is they make an addition in free agency and the player's not always the most technically skilled or the most athletically gifted, but he's a guy that comes into that locker room and unifies and plays within the system 
and make sure that everybody's playing for each other. Uh, Marcus Morris is a guy like that. Um, Ennis Cantor, to some degree, has actually been Boston's version of a glue guy entering the team. Uh, but a guy like that, Draymond Green does it at an exceptionally high level. Bringing in somebody like that that can kind of come in and be the metronome for the team's mentality and really push a nice veteran guy, that would be a huge asset to the balls now moving forward. You've got your young core. And then you look at who you've got on the team. I'm kind of scrolling through right now. Yeah. You've got Thomas Satoransky, a great three-point shooter. Max Struess was with Boston before they released him off his own. I think he was on a two-way at the time. Fad Young is a great guy, but is Fad Young really a glue guy? He's been a, a solid player all the way through his career. But he doesn't have the experience of going to multiple finals or multiple conference finals to really come into a young team and be like, this is the way we need to play to get to where we need to be. And to me, that's one of the biggest things that the Bulls will need for them, for them to take the next step is some veteran role players that have been to finals or deep playoff runs on multiple occasions in their career. And that's hard to do. You know, I mean, that's, that's yeah. hard to do it, it, the NBA. It's, it's, it's a very, it's, it's very catch 22, you know, in order to sign the players, you need to be successful, but in order to be successful, you need to sign the players. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to, to lure those types of players to your team, unless you've been to multiple, multiple uh, conference championships or multiple finals. Or, or you have consistency. Uh, one key thing that's been pointed out to me on multiple occasions that I've kind of bought into is if you have a young team that's got high-level talent and you have a steady front office that has shown that they're committed to developing this talent in the right way, implementing a culture, implementing a system, players around the league will take notice of that and then they start thinking to themselves, that team there is only two or three pieces away from being a contending team. I'm going to want to sit with them during my free agency this summer because there's been a steady ship and a solid kind of system of improvement. And that's how San Antonio have continually stayed competitive without having the superstars. They've had phenomenal player development, phenomenal culture. It's the San Antonio way. And then players will take meetings with them just because one, it's Greg Popovich, but two, because they know they're coming into a, a harmonious environment there's going to be no rough waves to ride during the season when you need to be focused on basketball. Right. So that's a great point. So last question I have for you is assuming everything, you know, assuming we have a season that starts back up here sometime in the next X number of weeks, uh, who's your pick to, 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 to win the title in this bizarre 2019, 2020 season? I'm going to go with the Clippers to win it all. Uh, I feel like they're just deep all the way, top to bottom. Uh, Kawhi, PG are just phenomenal guys. LeBron's kind of aging. Uh, the jury, for me, the jury's out on Anthony Davis when the, when the lights are shining brightest because he's never had to do that before. It's all well and good being an absolute stud during the regular season. Being a stud in a playoff final series is a completely different ball game. So he's def more than capable. I just don't think that the Lakers have enough in depth to compete with the Clippers. Uh, from the East, logic says Milwaukee. My heart says Boston. I, I hear you. The, 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 the head and the heart both, both say different things. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think the, the, the Clippers and the Lakers are, are clearly one, two. 
uh, out west. Um, the Clippers are are loaded. You know, if you're not, if it's not PG or, or Kawhi, it's Lou Williams dropping forty on you. Um, you know, and then the Lakers. It's 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 AD and LeBron, and and how far can the two of them uh, take take that team? And and out of the East, I mean, I feel like you have to go with Milwaukee. I mean, Giannis is is the is the best player in the NBA right now, and you know, outside of the hero calls that he's going to get because he's Giannis, he's 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 still the best player in the NBA, and 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 I don't until they can be unseated, I don't I don't uh, you know. I don't. I don't see how. I don't see how you can go anywhere but Milwaukee. But yeah, I'm. I'm with you. The, 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 my heart tells me that a that a healthy Celtics team can 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 take four out of seven from anybody. So, um, Adam, I want to. I again, you know, we, I said this to you before the interview, but but I really want to thank you for your time today. Uh, appreciate you taking some time to sit and talk to a newbie in the industry like myself, and uh, give me some of your insights into uh, this crazy. Uh, this crazy NBA season that we are currently dealing with. So really quickly, do you want to um, uh, just kind of take a second and let everybody know the the various places that they, that they can find you? Because I don't think I missed anything, but but you're all over the place. So why don't you take a second yeah, and tell I'm everybody where we can reach you? Well, firstly, thank you for having me on, man. I've really enjoyed this and you're doing great work. So please keep it up and I'll be watching and I hope everybody else is enjoying it too. Thank you. Um, if you're looking to find anything that I'm working on, you can check out my written work at celticsblog.com for SB Nation. I also do some written work for the450times.com. Uh, that's a website I co-founded with a good friend of mine, Brendan Nunes. That's for CLNS Media. There's a podcast for both of those as well. So jump on any podcast provider, Search Celtics Blog or the 450 Times and you'll find audio content there. And if you're looking for me on social media, it's the same handle across the board at Adam Taylor NBA. Awesome. I was joined once again by Adam Taylor of SB Nation. Adam, thank you so much. Stay safe and we'll talk soon. You too, man. You stay safe out there. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Once again, that was Adam Taylor of SB Nation. Adam can be reached at Adam Taylor NBA on Twitter, and I'll post the rest of his contact information in the description below. If you want to reach out to me for topic suggestions, ask questions, or just generally let me know your thoughts, again, I can be reached at SportsGuyAaron on Twitter or Around the World Sports on Facebook and YouTube. Audio recordings of this and my previous interviews will soon be available on podcasting sites everywhere. Thanks for watching, and I'll talk to you all soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Till next time. And that's the way it is. Take care of yourself. Good night, and good luck.